0: Welcome to Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks from Zenki Diloroshi, the guiding teacher here at Boulder Zen Center in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Bryant at BZC. Just a quick reminder before we start if you're a regular listener or a regular student of Zenki Roshi, I want to ask you to please leave this podcast a rating or a review. Thank you so much to everyone who has been leaving ratings, and if you haven't done so yet, I hope that you'll take just a minute after today's talk to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. That's all I have today. Here's Zenki Roshi with this week's talk. Good morning. Good morning, people in the Zoom space. They're all waving. I'm just happy it worked. <laughs> Well, I put on my robes and I brought up the teaching staff. So something special is about to happen. (laughs) This is a talk that I've been wanting to give for a long time, kind of. Mm, And I don't know exactly how to give it and as, um, Feeling it out one more, more. I'm thinking, well, maybe it's going to be three or four talks. But I want to talk about study. Yeah, you know, how to um, study the Buddha way. Yeah, I want to. I want to be just really simple and direct um i mean in the beginning to just say you know study like what it what is it like what do you what do you think of when you hear the word study and i think we all went to high school and most of us uh, to college and to study means something for us culturally it's like You go to school and somebody uh, gives a lecture or engages you in dialogue and certain concepts are taught taught, and you're going to read books about them and you put the concepts together and you come up with some understanding or maybe a hierarchy of terms and how they're interrelated and uh, you try to capture a field of human activity or of the physical world, and be able to understand and navigate it—something like that. And then, I think it's almost inevitable. If, if this is if this is our cultural um, imprint, then I think it's inevitable that. When we talk about studying the Buddha way, that we're going to approach it like that in some way, and I, mm. I, I notice it all the time because um, people ask me for recommendations, what to read, or how do I organize this study? It's like where do I begin, and uh, isn't isn't there a, a, a curriculum, a kind of progression of how to approach this? It's, And it's very understandable because when you look at the body of um, Buddhist teachings from the early sutras through the Abhidharma and um, the Mahayana texts and the various schools, it's like, it's unfathomable. It's not just like the Bible, And at least you can go back to the Bible. I mean, some people treat the sutras that way, like the early discourses that were recorded. I'm not informed enough. 200 years after the Buddha died. So it's like, yeah, there's these efforts to make a canon, like the definitive teachings that you should know. But nobody can can, uh, take in all this stuff impossible so when you embark on the uh, journey of studying the buddha way it's like there is this there's this feeling like how can you take in all this stuff so you don't and then and then you feel like well shit I'm not studying anyway I get that feeling from people But I I think that it actually all starts, if you put aside this cultural imprint of, there's a certain way I should be going about studying a certain area of knowledge or activity. It starts with, um, Well, this is my interpretation, but it starts with what Suzuki Rashi called the Inmost Request. There's something that you request, or maybe even require, from your life. Otherwise, you're in the wrong place. It's like, if if you don't have that Inmost Request, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, It's like there's nothing to study in the Buddha way. So what's, you know, then it really is like, how are you intimate with your own inmost request? Well, you are already. Otherwise, I I would say you, you wouldn't be here. So... I'm working on this book right now, right? And Matt, who's on Zoom call, is helping me with it. And it's like I, you know, in writing the book, I, which is a kind of study, you know, how to approach the Buddha way, it's like I I decided I'll start with this inmost request. I'll talk about it. And um for me it had this if I and this is this is kind of impossible but still you know we try I come up I, I come up with and come back to this question how can I be fully alive this is how I say it to myself and there's more there than what the words convey but this is how I pick it up this is the handle that I have on it you know, how to be fully alive. Not in some abstract way, you know, like sometime in the future being fully alive. Right now, how to be fully alive, how to be fully present, alive, in this activity right now of giving this talk. There's this phrase that I may come back to. that is in Doman's fascicle, the body-mind study of the way, which is this topic, right? the body-mind study of the way. And he um, says, the aspiration for enlightenment, that's a way of saying, speaking about the most request, The aspiration uh, for enlightenment, And circumstances, you know, this situation, this situation right now, this this situation we're in, the aspiration for enlightenment and circumstances together hold out a single hand. A single hand held out freely, a single hand held out freely, a single hand held out in the midst of all being. So, it's like you just taken this image, but it's like it's not just a single hand. It's this body and mind. The aspiration for enlightenment and circumstances together hold out a single hand. So the reason this is important to me is because It's not just this inmost request that is like somewhere buried inside here. It's this inmost request together with circumstances, just these circumstances right now, which is always the case, right? As long as you're alive, there are these circumstances right now, that that together holds out a single hand freely. So, you know, then, I'm trying to talk about study, right? So how do you unfold this? How do you unfold this? So I, I've i decided, you know, for the book, but I'm using this just as a kind of template, but for the book, I've decided, okay, I'll, I'll unfold it as... Liberation, wisdom, and compassion. So I say for the book, but it's not like this. 25 years ago, when I started to practice, or even 10 years ago, after 15 years of practice, I don't think I could have said with confidence that my inmost request will be answered by holding myself in this way, in the midst of being, with the uh, intention of going in the direction of wisdom, of liberation, wisdom, and compassion. I'm saying it now, you know, but, like I said, just, you know, even ten years ago, it would have just been a bunch of words. And I've read these kinds of words, and they're like, oh yeah, well, (laughs) liberation, wisdom, and compassion. Yeah, okay, I've heard that. I think that's a good thing. But it's interesting. Now I feel like it's actually saying something. Saying something very meaningful for me. Even though the words are sort of flat, but there's something, It's the words are picking something up. Okay, let me unfold this a little bit more. When you read, when you study Zen words, texts, koans, or something, you'll come across some images, like a hand freely held out to the midst of being, or a withered tree, or a brick of dead ash. This is in, you know, this is in, this is in uh, the body-mind study of the Way. Dogen uses the image of the withered tree and the brick of dead ash. And here's the, here's the thing. You are to imagine yourself as a withered tree and a brick of dead ash as images of liberation from suffering, or being an iron bull. Or well, I remember in Preston, you know, where I practiced for twenty years, Creston Mountains Center. There's a um, there's a statement framed, you know, so like put on the wall, and uh, it says. I don't remember the words correctly, um, but I summarize. you know, In your zazen, hold yourself like an iron wall. <laughs> I remember reading a koan, and I came across this image of a 10,000-fathom cliff. You know, the, uh, the, the master in this koan is described as being a ten-thousand-fathom cliff. Hmm. I read it and was like, I don't want to be a ten-thousand-fathom cliff. <laughs> I don't. And I don't say this flippantly. It's like, I, I noticed, I don't want to be a ten-thousand-fathom cliff. And I also don't want to be a brick of dead ash mm-hmm. i I remember bringing this um this struggle, this wrestling with this ten thousand fathom cliff. I remember bringing it to my teacher, and I said, "I don't want to be a ten thousand fathom cliff mm-hmm. and he said And he was just being a ten thousand fathom cliff, <laughs> and I walked away from was so Like I don't want to be that way. <laughs> this is so. This is wrestling with the teaching. This is trying it on. So, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know when this was, 15 years ago, the, Fathom Cl- the 10,000 Fathom Cliff episode in my life. Um, now, when I sit here and I talk about liberation from suffering, I speak about making space and I talk about allowing. you're experiencing to be exactly what it is at this time. Because after wrestling with the 10,000-fathom cliff and the iron bull and the iron wall and the dead brick... I feel that making space is a more appropriate uh, metaphor for me to express what this is about. So let, so this is so I'm talking about images for liberation from suffering, wrestling with them, finding your own way with how to understand what liberation from suffering is for you moment by moment, in these circumstances. (laughs) The phrases are pointers to a particular kind of mental posture and bodily presence. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about wisdom. So, um, my father-in-law is here, Mike, who studied with Izukurashi, and last night we were sitting, there's this family reunion going on, small family reunion, and last night we were sitting and talking and he said, um, Dogen said, we were talking about um, how to relate to uh, a challenging person. You know, a challenging person in your life and how you make use of them. How they could maybe be a teacher. So Mike said, uh, Dogen said, said, <coughs> To be enlightened is to meet a person and don't think about whether you like them or not, something like that. I know that quote. In fact, just um, a few weeks ago, Deborah brought it up, and I asked her to send it to me. And her version was different, you know, the version she remembered and looked up was to be untainted is to meet a person and don't consider how they look like. So I went and looked it up. Uh, It's in Dogen's fascicle, Yoibutsu, Yoibutsu. Only only a Buddha and a Buddha. And In the translation that I consulted, it says, to be undivided is to meet a person and not consider how the person looks like. It is also like looking at a flower or the moon and not wanting there to be... More color or brightness. It's also like looking at a flower or the moon and not wanting there to be more color and brightness. So this is this is interesting because what is study? You know, you read something like this. And it sticks with you. 20 or 30 or 40 years later, in some situation, the wisdom of this phrase delivers a message. This really is, I mean, this phrase that that, that I'm quoting right now is in the context of Dogen talking about unsurpassed enlightenment. What it means to be a Buddha. That's how how he starts the paragraph. What is it like to be a Buddha and and, uh, have unsurpassed enlightenment? And then he says it's like meeting a person and not considering how they look like. and it 's like looking at a flower or the moon and not demanding for there to be more color or brightness <clears throat> so can you can you find yourself in this phrase like i couldn 't find myself in the ten thousand fathom cliff, but i I can find myself in looking at a flower and not wanting there to be more color. I said, you know, this this um this inmost request unfolding itself as liberation, wisdom, liberation from suffering, wisdom and compassion. So let me talk about compassion too. There is this there's this quan story Yunyan and Dao, they are biological brothers, but they're also Dharma brothers practicing together. And um, there's always this like challenging exchange going on between them. So Yunyan is asking his brother, "What does the Bodhisattva of Compassion, the Great Bodhisattva of Compassion, do with uh, her thousand hands and eyes? You know these images of." Thousand hands and eyes. So, thousand hands, arms and hands with eyes in each palm. It's a little bit like, you know, when you ask yourself, what's my inmost request? What is the image for that? And there are these artistic... There are these artistic... Um, uh, expressions like the Buddha on the altar, right? Do you see yourself in that fella? Is that is that answering your inmost request? I always have a little trouble, you know. <laughs> is, that, is that how I is that how I want to be? Or do I want to be a ten thousand fathom cliff? I don't know. Or, you know, like a standing Buddha with with a mudra. Like, do I, do you want to be like that? Is that your image? That's study too. I see. I mean, this is kind of crazy what I'm about to say, but I see myself more like I have upstairs in uh, in my um, office and where I meet with people. I have a scroll, and Sophie, my wife, made this little, just this white square um, paper that she cut. She cut little marks into it where the paper gets uplifted, you know, like this. like It's just broken out from the white surface. And uh, when you have light on it, it just makes a little highlight and a shadow. And I see myself more like that little cut in the paper. And you all are cuts like that. And then there's the white paper that connects it. Maybe that's a more... that Maybe that's actually, you know, more fitting expression than this traditional Buddha figure standing in some way that makes no cultural sense to us. Maybe this little paper... Cut is more like the hand, freely held out. Anyway, uh, Yunyan and Dao—they are actually in a similar situation because they're Chinese and they get these images from India. And they don't know what to do with them. That's how I imagine it. They know what to do with them, but they're testing each other what to do with them. And Union is saying, what is this about? A thousand hands and eyes. And Dao says, it's like a person reaching for a pill at night. And Yunyan says, uh, I understand. And Dawa says, How do you understand? And Yunyan says, um, All of the body is hands and eyes. <laughs> and Dawa says, well, you said a lot there, but it's only 80%. And then Yunyan says, so how would you say it? And Dawa says, throughout the body, hands and eyes. <clears throat> so, you know, study, again, you come across... A story like this, it is opaque, a little bit like a ten thousand fathom wall. It's like, uh-huh. And um and 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 something happens, maybe, for me it does with this story, not with all koans, you know, but with this story, it's like yeah. So my wrestling is what is, what's compa- what is compassion? How do you practice it in a real way? How does it contribute to being fully alive? This is my real question. And when someone gives me some explanation, you know, I can feel ah, it's not reaching it, but now I have throughout the body is hands and eyes, and so I, I over the decades have recognized in myself that compassion is, and this is how I say it now, right? That Compassion is about resonance. It's about a resonant, sensitive body. A sensitive body that resonates with everything. And that it's worth developing this capacity for resonance. To be so, to be so at ease, to be so open, to be so, to use space, to be so spacious that I can resonate. Now, this is just my way of saying it, right? And it's opened up by this story. And it's opened up by wrestling or staying with it and finding out something about, throughout the body, hands and eyes. So, if you, to be practical, if you approach study like you did in high school or college, it's not wrong. It's just that it is limited. It doesn't go it doesn't go far enough on the buddha way but to throw it out is not right and i've tried to I've tried to use this talk to demonstrate that you just read and you listen and you pick stuff up and that which um and that which touches you is worth staying with or wrestling with. Even the stuff that makes no sense because then you can find out what you don't want to be like a 10,000-fathom cliff. If you don't, uh, if you don't study... You don't have this, you don't have that phrase that uh, pops up and tells you that um, being undivided is like meeting a person and not considering how they look like. But more than the phrase is, you haven't developed a um, felt sense that uh, lies behind the phrase and that has maybe now for years informed you in some way about how you go about things. So to be even more practical, um, then I close. You know, in, in response to when people ask me, well, why, well, how should I approach this? What should I read? I'm not, I'm not very good at um, giving answers to that question. Or I don't give answers that the person wants to hear. Because I haven't come up with this list, I haven't come up with this curriculum. And the main reason that's so is because you are the curriculum. You are the curriculum. It's not like the curriculum exists outside of you. But it's uncomfortable because there's no one telling you what to study or how to go from one... uh, thing to the next but maybe some you know very very general advice by the way if you want if you want a reading list you will find it on the internet other Zen centers have provided it Norman Fisher has a good one if it's still if it's still on the website but i think generally good advice is there's all these schools and all the schools are different and but they they are actually based on some foundational teachings like you know the four noble truths being intimate with suffering and letting go of reactivity and savouring moments of non reactivity. That's foundational. That's in every school. That's something to study. Or the four foundations of mindfulness, or you know, the six paramitas and so forth. But you will only study it if you find some interest, right? If you, if you already find some interest, it's like, the, this is about liberation from suffering, and I actually need to understand what suffering is, not in some conceptual way, but for me. And make a connection between that experience and the way it is being talked about or analyzed. So the foundational teachings. And then, I think... You pick the school of Buddhism you find yourself in. You don't pick it rationally anyway. You know, you just pick it through some aesthetic judgment, like, I like that feel of the practice here, so I'll stick with that. So then, just stick with those teachings. Just limit yourself to that. Just explore the teachings of your school together with those foundational teachings. So in our case, just study Dogen, it's fine. You have enough for the rest of your life. If you practice Rinzai Zen, go through the the koan curriculum. It's not what I'm doing. Sometimes I felt like, should I be doing that? Or should I do something else? Should I, you know, be more like the Tibetan Buddhists? It's too much. I'm just saying that. You know, you can do whatever you want. It's just too much. If you're going, if, you're, if, you're, if you've picked something intuitively or aesthetically or whatever you want to call that, it's like, just stick with those teachings. Maybe just with, just with Suzuki Roshi. Just, you know. And let, and, serve, and, and let a pass, come together for you. Not knowing what it will be. Exactly how you connect those teachings that you encounter. I think it is helpful to talk about it with others with your teachers, with your your fellow practitioners. You um, You get little inputs that way, too. Like I got from Deborah and from Mike, you know, reminding me of something that I've read before. And then it comes out. Well, yesterday, when I asked myself um, what I wanted to talk about, I went to the—I didn't know how that happened. I, we were talking, right, and I just got up and went to the library, and like a book drew my, drew my attention, and I picked it up, and I opened it, and here was case number 44 of the Moncliffe record. Hoshan's Knowing How to Beat the Drum. <clears throat> And it says, cultivating study is learning. Cultivating study is learning. Cutting off study is intimacy. Going beyond the two is real going beyond. The monk asked Hoshan, what is real going beyond? In Ocean Se. It's knowing how to beat the drum. <coughs> now I have something new to work with. Because I wanted to finally talk about study, I went to the bookshelf and I found a case that is about study. <coughs>